Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome back to Live with Doug. Although we are not live, I'm still not back, but we are continuing our study via recording on the kingdom and the last days. And I think I said at the end yesterday, we are going to jump into Matthew 24 today. We're going to spend more time today and tomorrow on Daniel. Let's finish up those prophecies which will lay the foundation and the groundwork for what we see in Matthew 24. <clears throat> and I apologize, my voice is, it's uh, acting funny today. <clears throat> and I got a lot of stuff in my throat, so I'm not sure why that is, but uh, anyway, bear with me. So in Matthew 23, I said we're not going to get to Matthew 24, but I want to I wanna get back to Daniel from Matthew 23. We have Jesus pronouncing his, uh, his woes, his great and uh, and devastating rebuke of the Pharisees. Uh, for instance, in verse 23, he says, Woe to you, experts in the law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites. You give a tenth of mint and dill and cumin, yet you neglect what is more important in the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have done these things without neglecting the others. Blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. <clears throat> Woe to you, experts in the law and the Pharisees, hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, clean up the inside of the cup so that the outside may become clean too. So you, if you've read Matthew 23, you know how this goes. Jesus, Jesus goes through a list of woe to you. He's pronouncing curse upon them. That's what the word woe communicated in the Old Testament. It's what he means here. I'm, cur I'm pronouncing a judgment, a curse on you for your hypocrisy and so on. <clears throat> it says in verse 27, Woe to you experts in the law and the Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs that look beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. You present yourselves as clean, but you're unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you look righteous to people, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He He's just exposed their wickedness again and again and again and again. All right, so he, he, well, let me just read one more. Woe to you, Pharisees, experts in the law, hypocrites. You build tombs of the prophets and decorate the graves, graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have participated with them in shedding the blood of prophets. So the Old Testament prophets, such as Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, many of those men were persecuted by the leaders of the Jews. And so Jesus is saying, you modern day Pharisees have built up all of these monuments to the prophets. And you're saying we would have been better than our forefathers. We would not have shed the blood of these prophets. And Jesus says, by saying this, you testify against yourselves that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. See what's going to happen? He's already told them the parable that the vine owner, the landowner is going to send his son and they're going to, they're going to kill him. And, and before that, he's going to send his messengers. And they're going to persecute each of those messengers. So what Jesus is doing is he's setting these guys up that when they pronounce judgment on Jesus to have him crucified and executed, and when they persecute the apostles of the first century, they're doing exactly what their forefathers did to the prophets. 
So Jesus is saying you are guilty of the very same thing, even though you look back and say, oh, we're better than those who persecuted the prophets of old. Okay, now notice what he says. Fill up then the measure of your ancestors. Fill it up. The sins of your forefathers were bad, but the cup of sin was not yet full. You fill it full, and then you will bring destruction and judgment upon yourself for doing it. You snakes, you offspring of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? And if you were with us in the, uh, the series we did earlier, hell here is Gehenna. Right? It's the place outside of Jerusalem where they burned the, the bodies of, uh, of wicked, corrupt um, insurrectionists and so on, violent people, uh, where they took their refuse. You're, how will you escape being condemned to Gehenna? For this reason, I am sending you prophets and wise men and experts in the law, some of whom you will kill and crucify, some you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town, so that on you... Now, remember who he's talking to here. He's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes of the first century, right? The people right in his very presence. On you will come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. So he's now associating this first century group of Jewish leaders with those prophets who uh, I'm sorry, those uh, the forefathers who persecuted the prophets and saying on you now, this generation, the first century is going to come all the blood for those who shed the unrighteous, who unrighteously shed the righteous blood of, of the past. I tell you the truth, this generation will be held responsible for all these things. Which generation? the generation that he's writing to. That is going to be an important phrase when we get to Matthew 24 because he uses the same phrase, same word, this generation. He's talking to first century Jewish leaders. You see that, right? Then he says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who will kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you, How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would have none of it. Look, your house is left to you desolate. So what is the judgment that's going to come upon this generation? The house of the Jews... The temple is left desolate. Jerusalem, he cries out, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Do you see what he's predicting here? The fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, and it being left desolate. And he says it's going to happen in that generation. You know where this is going, right? This is around 30 or depending on where you place Jesus' birth, between 30 and 33 AD. Was Jerusalem left desolate? Was the house 
of the Jews left desolate within a generation? Yes. In 70 AD, the Romans came and destroyed the city and burned down the temple. <clears throat> Not one stone was left upon another. And this leads into chapter 24, which we'll look at. Now, remember yesterday, we saw that, uh, that Daniel tied together the end and the wrath at the time of the end and the sanctuary or the temple and all of those things. We're going to see more today and tomorrow in Daniel dealing with the same thing. <clears throat> Again, I apologize. I, whatever's in my throat is distracting me. Almost stopped and started over. <laughs> so Daniel 9, this is, this is a section that is so controversial, so, so much disagreement here. I may not satisfy you with my understanding, but I want you to see how it fits in with the rest of Daniel and ultimately into Matthew 24 here in the kingdom in the last days. So Daniel's been seeing these visions and we've already seen the four kingdoms, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of the son of man. They all, all three describe the same thing that comes in during that fourth kingdom and crushes all the rest. <clears throat> That's been largely not Jewish specific. Now, the, now chapter eight of Daniel that we looked at yesterday, where you have the Medo-Persians and then Alexander the Great conquering and then the, the great king and, and some of that that goes on. There is that tie into the sanctuary and the wrath and all that, which has more to do with the Jews. Here, Daniel 9, Daniel sees what's going to happen, or at least he's told what's going to happen to the Jews specifically. Now, the setup for this, and I've, I decide here I won't, uh, I won't read all of it, um, well, let me, let me at least get started. We'll, we'll see how much time allows to, uh, to get into here. So Daniel 9. <clears throat> it says, In the first year of Darius, son of Ahasuerus, who was of Median descent and who had been appointed king over the Babylonian Empire, remember the Medo-Persians, and in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, came to understand from the sacred books that the number of years for the falling of the desol fulfilling rather of the desolation of Jerusalem, which had come as the Lord's message to the prophet Jeremiah would be 70 years. All right. So let me just uh, take a look at something real quick here. Uh, let me, well, so he's reading Jeremiah the prophet Jeremiah, the same prophet that we read. And he sees that when Jerusalem is desolated, when it is destroyed and left where there's no one else around, that's desolation, right? When it's, when it's conquered. From that point forward, uh, fulfilling the desolation of Jerusalem, which had come, it was going to be 70 years. And that would bring an end to the desolation of Jerusalem. 
and a rebuilding of the temple. <clears throat> we start doing the math and he realizes 586 was, we're getting close to 70 years here. So he starts to pray. So he says here, I turn my attention to the Lord God to implore him by prayer and request with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And he starts to pray and ask the Lord to finish, to, to bring this desolation of Jerusalem to an end and let the people go back and rebuild the temple, rebuild the city. So he, he figures out that it's been about 70 years. And so he gets on his knees and he confesses the sin of, uh, of Israel and that the reason they are in exile is because of their wickedness. Look what he says here in verse 7, You are righteous, O Lord, but we are humiliated this day. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far away in all the countries in which you have scattered them because they behaved unfaithfully toward you. You see what he's acknowledging? The reason that Jerusalem was destroyed and the re reason that so many of your people were taken into exile, O Lord, is because we sinned. O Lord, we have been humiliated, our kings, our leaders, our ancestors, because we have sinned against you. Yet the Lord our God is compassionate and forgiving, even though we've rebelled against him. We've not obeyed the Lord according to living, uh, by living according to his laws that he set before us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has broken your law and turned away. And on and on he goes, describing that God brought the punishment and the curses of the covenant, just as he said he would, as, as Moses wrote. So all this calamity has come upon us, right? He says, now, O Lord, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with great power and made a name for yourself that it was remembered to this day, we have sinned and behaved wickedly. O Lord, according to all your justice, please turn your raging anger away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For due to our sins, the iniquities of our ancestors, Jerusalem and your people are mocked by all our neighbors. And he goes on and he asks the Lord to, to end this exile and bring the people back. He says, while I was still speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my request before the Lord, my God, concerning his holy mountain. Yes, while I was still praying, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a previous vision, was approaching me in my state of extreme weariness around the time of the evening offering. <clears throat> so, so Gabriel shows up again. He spoke with me, instructed me as follows. Daniel, I have now come to impart understanding to you. This is a very interesting statement. We will see more of this kind of thing tomorrow. At the beginning of your requests, a message went out. And I have come to convey it to you. For you are of great value in God's sight. Now, just pause there for a minute. Again, you know, I'm always harping on abstract, systematic theology, this intellectualism that has plagued the church for centuries. Not all in the church, but those of us who come from the more reformed, conservative branch of Christianity, we have a hard time. We, we don't think 
like this verse portrays. Gabriel says, at the beginning of your requests, a message went out. Went out from whom? Apparently from God. So God hears Daniel's prayers. He starts confessing the sins of the people and asking God to do what he said he would do, to end the exile and the punishment of Jerusalem. Jeremiah had spoken God's words that it would last 70 years. He starts doing the math and says it's been about 70 years. So he starts praying and God sends a message and he sends it by means of Gabriel to deliver this information. And Gabriel had to travel to get there. Again, come back tomorrow. We look at chapters 10 through 12. Very, very interesting stuff. God hears our prayers. And he has an army of angels that carry out God's responses to our prayers. Fascinating stuff. I said yesterday, there's this whole realm of existence that we don't perceive all the time and we forget is there. And, and because of the way it has been portrayed by some over the years, it's easy to disregard the whole angelic, demonic, spiritual realities. All right, we'll come back to some more of that tomorrow. <clears throat> so now Gabriel is going to give him this message, this, this vision, understanding. He says, 70 weeks have been determined concerning your people and your holy city. Okay, let's just stop there for a moment. Make sure we have this clear. Who are the people of Daniel, your people. It's all the people he was just praying for. The Jews, the house of Judah, and the house of Israel. Seventy weeks have been determined for your people and your holy city. Whose holy city? Daniel's. What is the holy city? It's Jerusalem, of course. So 70 weeks have been determined for the Israelites and Jerusalem. Now just, even if you didn't know what comes next, that sounds ominous, doesn't it? It's not the answer that Daniel was thinking. Oh Lord, Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple has been destroyed. Because of our great wickedness, you have killed so many and sent the rest of us into exile. But Lord, you said you would relent. You said you wouldn't do this forever. You said that after 70 years, you would restore your people to Jerusalem. So let us come back. I'm asking. And Gabriel shows up to give the response to that request. And he says, hey, Daniel, your people, your city, you have 70 weeks. That sounds ominous. And it is. Now, most interpreters, and I agree, 
believe this is talking about 77 year periods. So literally it's not 70 weeks, it's 77s in the Hebrew. And you know, seven day period, the week. But most think he means 77 year periods. So how many years are 77 year periods? 490. 70 times 7. I don't have time to go there now. But think about that. All right. So 77s have been determined concerning your people, Israelites, and your city, Jerusalem, to put an end to rebellion, to bring sin to completion, to atone for iniquity, to bring in perpetual righteousness, to seal up the prophetic vision, and to anoint a most holy place. So I'm not going to go through all these and try to build a case, but just briefly, to put an end to rebellion, that raises the question of who is rebelling. It would seem like the holy city and the people living there, to me, to bring sin to completion, to atone for iniquity. If you were with us in the uh, in the Romans series when we did chapter 11, there might be a couple different things that come to mind here. One is this could be speaking about the cross and iniquity being atoned for in Jesus. Or it could be talking about the atonement in terms of the destruction of the temple, like we saw in Isaiah 27, where it wasn't forgiveness. That's not how the sin was atoned for, but through the, uh, through the God was pacified or appeased through the destruction, through the wrath that he would bring. So 77-year periods will bring an end to rebellion, sin to completion, atone for iniquity, to bring in perpetual righteousness, seal up the prophetic vision, that's an interesting phrase, and to anoint a most holy place. Or the, the place is implied, it's not actually in the original, it could be appoint a most holy one. I'm sorry, anoint a most holy one, could be. So know and understand, from the issuing of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until an anointed one, a prince, arrives, there will be a period of seven weeks and 62 weeks, or 77s and 62 sevens. Okay, so... There's going to be seven, seven-year periods. And then there's going to be 62 seven-year periods. 62 plus seven is 69, right? After that 69th week, the prince will arrive, the anointed one, Jerusalem in that time will be rebuilt with plaza and moat, but in distressful times. 
You read about that in Nehemiah and Ezra, especially Nehemiah. It says, now after the 62 weeks, which is the 69th week, right? So there's a period of seven and then 62. So the end of the 62nd week is really the end of the 69th week because you got to add the first seven first. So you got seven plus 62, that's 69. So after the 62 weeks, so you've already had the first seven. I, I stress this because every time I teach in this, people get all wigged out about the, the, the language. You know, why, why is there a break of seven weeks and 62 weeks? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure. We aren't told this. But you've got the seven weeks and then the 62. And after the 62, which is the 69th week, an anointed one will be cut off and have nothing. As for the city and the sanctuary, Jerusalem and the temple, the people of the coming prince will destroy them. But his end will come like speedily like a flood until the end of the war that has been decreed, there will be destruction. So we want to get all wrapped up in details here, just like all the other visions, and that's fine, but don't miss what's clear. There's an anointed one who will be cut off and have nothing. The Greek word for anointing is charisma, and Christ means anointed one. It's the Greek form of Messiah. The city and the sanctuary are going to be destroyed. Its end will come speedily. There's this war that's going to go on. So a war that culminates in the destruction of the Israelites and the temple. See that? Now here's where one school of thought has taken us astray, I would say. He will confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of that week, he will bring sacrifices and offerings to a halt. On the wing of abominations will come one who destroys until the decreed end is poured out on the one who destroys. There is no place in this prophecy, in my opinion, for a multi-thousand year gap between the 62 weeks and this remaining week. This is not our future. This is Daniel's future, and it's going to come in about 490 years. Now, let me just do some quick math with you. The fall of Jerusalem was 586 BC. So 70 years from that would be around 516 BC, right? What is 70 times 7? It's 490. Now, I don't know if it, I think it's certainly within biblical um, uh, practice to use round numbers especially when you're talking symbolic things. So is this supposed to be taken as literally 490 years? If so, it's possible to make the math work. In my opinion, it's also possible that this is symbolic numbers, which is pretty doggone close 
490 years from 516 BC? It's pretty close. So I'll just, I'll just leave that there. Again, I'm not pretending to have every nuance of this figured out. I have some views of some of these things. But what is clear to me, at least, is 77s are ahead for your people, Daniel, which would be 490 years, 77-year periods. And the sanctuary is going to be destroyed. And the city is going to be destroyed. There's going to be a war that leads to that. Sacrifices and offerings are coming to a halt. And on the wing of abominations will come one who destroys until the decreed end is poured out on the one who destroys. Remember the language that Jesus used here? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I would have gathered you together, but you wouldn't have anything to do with it. Look, your house is left to you desolate. Within a generation of Jesus saying that, Jerusalem's going to fall and the temple's going to be destroyed. I think Gabriel is revealing to Daniel what's going to happen within a generation of Jesus. The city's going to be destroyed again. The temple's going to be destroyed again. And that leads into Daniel chapter 24, which we're not going to look at tomorrow because I want to go through one more section in, did I say Daniel 24? Matthew 24. Uh, I want to go through one more section in Daniel. Ponder it, think on it. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless.